Welcome everyone to a very special episode of Dane Interviews, and it has been a long time since a Dane Interviews came out, but since the quarantine is happening, I decided, you know what, might as well just put out some extra content for you guys, and that's exactly what I'm doing today. And we are bringing back Dane Interviews with a very special guest. This guy has over 100,000 subscribers on his YouTube channel. He is known for playing that game, but he doesn't do that anymore because he is now called Midway to Main Street. If you don't know who I'm talking about, it is Rob from Midway to Main Street. He used to be called Rob Plays. I, it's a very good interview and i hope you enjoy and let's get right into the interview right now here we are episode four of dane interviews with rob from midway to main street is that what i should call you now because you're not rob plays anymore yeah i guess that makes you know it's funny i didn't actually think that part through i don't mind if people still call me rob plays although i guess for people who are just like joining the channel that's going to be very confusing but Rob, Rob plays. It all works for me. Okay, first of all, thanks for coming on. I know I got you on a good day, I think, because right after the video comes out, at least that's what... Yeah, it's nice. It's I'm not, like, stressing in the background over finishing a video or anything. I'm I'm in that sweet spot between starting the next one and finishing one. Yeah, you're not, like, quickly writing or editing the video in the second tab of the... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, so do you do a lot of podcasts? Do you come on a lot of, not like just interview podcasts, just like you went on a Disney Dan podcast, I know. And were you on the Wet Yesterworld podcast? I don't. Yeah, I think I have been. Either that or I remember I've had Mark on my podcast way back in the day. Yeah. So, like, uh, when it comes to, because we're all friends, like Dan and Yesterworld and, mm -hmm. and you know, Defunct Land and everything. So whenever anybody needs anybody else to be in something, I think we're always down. Um, okay. So I do a lot of that. And then, you know, occasionally I'll be in other podcasts. Um, it, it really depends on when it comes in and what the, that time looks like and, you know, whether or not I'm like crunching for a bunch of videos, stuff like that. I'm always down to talk Disney and YouTube and, you know, so it's a very easy thing to say yes to. Yeah. Uh, also, you were on uh, Mad About Disney's podcast, The Mad Chatter. I think you were on there twice, actually. Mm -hmm. I think you were one of the one of the one of the only people that were on there twice. Also, you have a Patreon podcast. Yeah, and I, I mean, so we have the I have the Patreon where I kind of talk on a week to week basis what's going on with the channel, and then on top of that, I have the TTA with my uh, best friend Christine, where we talk Disney every week. Uh, and then I I've even have a few like defunct podcasts that uh, I used to do back when I was focusing more on video games with other friends. Uh, going all the way back to honestly, when I was in college, I had done a couple of video game podcasts that, you know, very like short lived, like 10 episodes or less, just basically a bunch of friends just wanting an excuse to talk video games. Uh, so it's been an on and off thing for uh, more than 10 years now, I guess. Like the low quality with like no mic podcast that only exactly. lasted like five episodes. <laughs> exactly, and we're just copying the format of like literally every other video game <laughs> podcast at the time, which back then was like three hour long discussion podcasts, which work when you have like established like members of the gaming community who yeah. like you you know what they're talking about or you trust what they're saying but when it's like three college kids it's just three hours of rambling you mentioned the uh the tta which we'll get to later on I actually have a question about the tta but can you explain that because the patreon podcast is only for patrons and yeah. uh i believe you have to pay two dollars to get that tier Yes, and and that's part of a whole bunch of like other perks. Like you also yeah. get bonus videos sometimes, not like bonus uh, like channel videos, but like behind the scenes stuff. Uh, the Patreon in general, just my goal is to that for that to be a look at how all of the gears behind the scenes of the channel turn and what goes into making decisions and how I gauge the way things perform, whether it's positive or negative. And like just as a for instance, this whole rebrand from Rob Plays to Midway to Main Street 
was something that I started talking about last fall. And so that's patrons who have been following the podcast. We're getting bits and pieces of that all the way up until the actual launch. Uh, but the TTA uh, is essentially a Disney fan podcast, and uh, it is hosted by myself and my best friend, Christine, who's on YouTube under the name Ivy Winter. And uh, that kind of was just born out of, you know, we've known each other since we were in grade school. We're both diehard Disney Park fans. We go on trips together. And so we found ourselves when we were both working office jobs talking Disney a lot, you know, on like Gchat. And so we figured, why not use this as a way to make something productive out of it? So we'll talk news. We'll just do fun and weird creative stuff. Or some weeks we just want to talk about a thing we really like. Uh, and it started as something for us to to talk Disney every week while we both lived in New York. But now, you know, she's in Jersey. I'm in Florida. So it's also just a way for us to keep in touch as friends and to talk about Disney. So it's been a fun I, I don't know. I think it's over two years now. We're coming up on 200 episodes. Oh, wow. Yeah. Do you do it every week or every chance you get? Mostly every week. Uh, we've had a few periods here and there where work schedules kind of yeah. force us to skip a week. But yeah, for the most part, once a week. Very, very cool. Um, let's, uh, let's start from the beginning. You're, right. you're from New York City, right? You're from the New York area. Yep, born and raised. And uh, what was your introduction to theme parks, I I even if it's not Disney, just theme parks in general? Um, so it was Disney. It was uh, the kind of it was a family thing, really. Uh, my my parents took us to Disney. That was our like family vacation. You know, we'd go maybe every other year, every three years, and rather than going to all different places or rather than going to that, you know, cabin by the lake that people go to ours yeah. was Disney world. And so I grew up going to Disney world and it was just sort of a part of our DNA. And, um, as I got older, you know, I started to appreciate Disney world for different things because, you know, when you're younger, it's, it's about the magic and the getting to go on cool rides and escaping the real world and and it's it's about the front facing part of of everything and that's still there as an adult but you know going into high school and then college i started to appreciate how much work goes into making that illusion especially because like i went to film school so like i really appreciate the idea of immersing people in other stories and other worlds and so once that uh that appreciation shifted over, I started reading more about Disney and, and all of that. And so it's kind of created this long lasting love of the parks that maybe in another world I would have like grown out of, but I just it just evolved with me. And you're uh sometimes your interest changed and well with you, your interest in Disney changed. Like I when I was younger, I loved reading characters and I still do. But then my interest changed to more of the history of attractions and the history of those characters. And that's that's kind of the videos I do now. And I <laughs> I agree with you. The, your your childhood is like mine because I live up in uh, Pennsylvania. So we we don't get to go down to Disney like every day. So it's every other year, every every year for me, too. Yeah. And, and, and that, in a way, I think can make it a stronger you know, uh, you don't you don't get jaded over it so quickly because you're not there all the time. I mean, I oh, remember growing cool. up, I watched the planning DVDs or at the time they were planning VHS tapes just like over and over again because I just wanted to be back there so badly. And that I'm sure definitely fueled the the passion for the parks. Yeah, I always look at the uh, like the Disney. I have a Disney World one where it's Disney World and Disneyland. I forget what it's called, but I, I'm upstairs i won't go downstairs <laughs> and find it but yeah it's it's a, like a planning thing i would just watch it over and over and over again what is your favorite theme park non-disney non-disney um that's really tough because honestly up until like the last year i had it so like growing up we'd occasionally do our summer trips to six flags great adventure in new jersey so like we've been there but i honestly have very little recollection of it uh, and maybe in a in a weird way, we were spoiled by Disney because it'd be like, what are these are just rides. They're just where is the theme? Where's the story? It's just a ride, yeah. you know, and that didn't interest me as much. Um, I will say 
now that uh, we live down here, we've been going to Orlando more, uh, Orlando, uh, Universal Orlando more, and uh, I'm growing an appreciation for Universal, even though I, I don't have that background of growing up and going to it. I kind of, I, I like what, I like what they're doing with it. Yeah. Would you enjoy Universal History video? Uh, I would, but I, I would want to do... I'd want to do the kind of universal history that I do with Disney history, which is not like you'll, I think you'll never see me do a video. That's like the history of jaws because there are already like 10 of those out there. But if, yeah, but if I could find those weird little stories that took place during universal's history or things that involve how universal interacts with like orange County or Florida, like that's the kind of stuff I'm, I'm definitely open to covering and hoping to a little bit this year as I like change the rebranding over. Yeah, I think Universal, if you found something like that, that would be a very interesting video. But what is your favorite uh, Disney park? Uh, That tends to change, I feel like, year to year. So right now, I think it's definitely the Magic Kingdom, which is kind of like a, I guess, a cliche answer. But um, it's for me, I think the the ability to change from land to land and truly feel like you're you're leaving like the magic kingdoms a park i feel like you can spend all day in and feel like you've been to five separate theme parks and that i think is is a really amazing feat and right now maybe it's because i'm i'm gaining an appreciation for frontier land and a little bit liberty square it's it's kind of been my favorite place to go and also my favorite place to like photograph uh so that that would be my current favorite disney park although i've had years where it's like epcot uh i certainly had a couple of months there where black spire outpost made hollywood studios my favorite park because i was ready to just go spend all day every day there um so it's like it really depends on what day of the week you're asking the question the utilidors, I think, add a lot to that element of theming. Yeah, and it's just they're so drastically different, all the lands. It's not like, you know, Hollywood Studios. Yeah, you have Sunset Boulevard that's like 1930s Hollywood, and then you still yeah. have that Hollywood vibe when you head on over to Indiana Jones. And only really Black Spire Outpost and Toy Story Land feel drastically different from the rest of the park, whereas you go to Magic Kingdom and, you know, Main Street, Tomorrowland, Adventureland, they are all so different in every way imaginable that it really does they just feel like miniature parks that you get to jump from uh, you mentioned black by black spire outpost and um my favorite park is hollywood studios it's it's been that way since i really great movie right? um a couple of years ago i don't know how long i think they were made in like 2016 or something you started posting your home videos from your trips to uh to disney world can you tell yes. me a little bit, bit about them that was my way of so from a youtube perspective i was trying to fill in the gaps because i was doing vlogs at that time and i wasn't i still lived in new york so i wasn't going you know all the time and so there were these long gaps between vlogs and i was like oh what if i put up these old home videos as sort of like retro vlogs um but that was, you know, when we were growing up, my dad had the big VHS camcorder and he took it on all the trips with us and recorded hours and hours of footage. And so uh, it was one of those things where I appreciated them for just the memories. But also, as I was doing more Disney history, I appreciated them for just getting to look at the parks in the 90s. And so I was like, maybe people would like this. And so I went through and I cut a lot of the family stuff out. So it was more like a very bare bones home video. But I wanted to offer that ability to just see like, this is what, you know, Hollywood Studios looked like in the early 90s. Or, you know, this is what Animal Kingdom looked like the year it opened, that kind of stuff. So it's a fun way to just look back at it. The oldest one you have, I think, is 1989. If yeah. I'm I was like two years old or something. It was, <laughs> I don't even remember it. So it's just purely the video at that point. <laughs> and then the latest one you put out was 2007. Yep. Long before the channel, but yeah. still was like, that was when I was like getting ready to go to film school. And oh no, mm -hmm. at that point I was in film school. So I had my little camcorder and I was all about recording everything. And this was pre-vlogs. So I wasn't even vlogging to vlog. I was just like making my own home videos the way my dad would. And yeah. uh, that was uh, on those trips. Uh, Christine was there as well. It was like me and a couple of friends. And so 
uh, it was the early days of of everything we were doing. Yeah, if you just if you just look up Rob plays retro vlogs on YouTube, and uh, the first one, if you want to go in in order, the first one's called Retro Disney World 1989. So. And then the thumbnail is like 1989 Disney with the Eiffel Tower. So if you want to go check them out, I don't want to make the description like super <laughs> long. So if you want to go check those out, look them up. And you said something about um, you weren't really making them for vlogs because vlogs in like 2007 wasn't really made. The vlogs weren't a thing in 2007. YouTube wasn't even that big in 2007. I mean, it was, but it was only two years old. It, it kind of reminds me of a thing that Matthew Serrano, the guy who made uh, Remain Seated, please, the Hooten Chief documentary. Yep. He said that all that footage was, it was difficult with all that footage because Hooten Chief wasn't making it for a documentary. Yeah, it just kind of reminded me of you saying that. Yeah, I mean, it was a different time, and I think it actually shows in the videos because nowadays when you record a vlog, you know what your audience is, and you know it's going on the internet, and you know you're trying to appeal to, yeah. you know, the tastes of your audience or the attention span of your audience, but, like, when we recorded the stuff in 07, you know, I, I, I knew it would go on YouTube, but those were the days where it was going on YouTube purely just to send to my family and friends and be like, hey, check yeah. out our home video. I wasn't making that for an audience besides myself and my friends. And I think when when that's the case, you record a little bit differently. And uh, there's something, I guess, a little bit unrefined about it, but that in a, in a very interesting way because you're just getting like the raw experience. And I've always wondered if it's possible to create that experience today which I've kind of wanted to try, but I just haven't been on a Disney vacation since is just making a home video, not making a vlog and, and telling the difference between the two. That would be interesting, actually. Well, yeah. I think a lot of people at that time in 2007 weren't really making YouTube videos for an audience. I mean, they were kind of, but back in those days, it was kind of just put a video out, hopefully gets traction and it goes viral because a lot of videos back then were just dumb people doing stuff for viral pretty videos. much yeah and, and and it's yeah you just people weren't they were creating to create and then hopefully the audience followed rather than creating for an audience if that makes any sense it's just like it's just you, you what you wanted to make i think came first and then the consideration of the audience came second. And nowadays it's, you know, I mean, it's still, it's very depends on who you're talking about as far as a creator. In some cases it's still the same way, but for many it's either half and half or you're thinking of your audience first, you know, and uh, there's not, not necessarily nothing wrong with that. It's just a, a different way to approach, you know, video. Let's get back to your, uh, your home videos. When you were younger, did you love video games? Did you grow up playing video games? On and off, I actually didn't get super into video games. Uh, well, that's not necessarily true. It was, I'd say when I was in grade school and the Nintendo 64 came out is when I really got into them. Like we had them beforehand. We had Sega Genesis. We had an NES and I played those, but it was like just a casual thing to play. It was the N64 when I like super got into gaming and then it just kind of evolved to PC gaming in middle school and high school and then back to console gaming in college and after college. And now I just play, you know, whatever. But yeah, it's been something that's, you know, I wouldn't say from the very beginning, but pretty, pretty far back. Well, uh, what was the game that you would always play if you had one? Like if you were going to sit down at the any uh, Nintendo 64, not NES, <laughs> Nintendo 64, and you were going to play a game, what would you immediately pull out? Uh, it would have either been GoldenEye or... I was very into the first Smash Brothers, which it's funny because since that game, I haven't really been into them because I'm not a big yeah. fighting game fan. But uh, I think Ocarina of Time was also another big one for yeah. me. Any of those three. It was we had a blockbuster nearby. And so that was my thing was, you know, every couple of weeks getting to rent yeah. a new game and and try it out. And but GoldenEye with friends. I mean, it all sounds like very 90s kids, cliches, <laughs> but it's very <laughs> true. Like we would. We would have sleepovers where, you know, we would take turns playing either Perfect Darker or GoldenEye or, you know, somebody would rent a wrestling game. And I wasn't even into wrestling, but it was just something to play with your friends. And, yeah. you know, we just play games all night. Yeah, personally, I love the Nintendo 64. I wish I had one. I don't, unfortunately, because they're 
pretty pricey now, but they're one. It's one of my favorite consoles, and the games on it are so so good. Yeah, I I I loved it, and it was it was at the time. I know it sounds like such a like in my day, but like <laughs> um, the jump to 3D was really like just wild especially with things like ocarina of time or you know uh super mario 64 it was it's just like just what this is the future of video gaming this is amazing and it's given me the appreciation that today i can look at new games and go like this is incredible i wish i could show this to my 10 year old self so that that he could be blown away by just how amazing things look today yeah just like imagine back then if you gave them like a playstation vr and like hey have fun this is the future like imagine that (laughs) so oh sorry oh i was just gonna say my last gaming memory of that that regard was uh i i have distinct memories of me and my friends going to the local video game shop this is right before the playstation 2 came out and they had a demo unit set up that was looping the beginning intro cinematic of uh twisted metal black and I remember us just sitting there watching blown away by the graphics. And we would go to the store just to watch this video because we we're like, this is what gaming's going to be. This is amazing. And, you know, it would be a few years later till I'd actually get one. Yeah. Yeah. So the Nintendo 64 controller, if you don't know, it has like it's a regular if you imagine like a game if not a Game Boy, if you imagine like an Xbox controller and then put another like thing in the middle was that was that comfortable to play it was weird it was you know what it was most most games excuse me most games used one like you always use the right hand side because you had you know your main buttons there and then you either use the center or you use the left and i don't remember many games where i was switching back and forth so it was more just like oh well this game you're using your little center joystick or yeah. you know this game you're using left so it wasn't uncomfortable uh the most uncomfortable part of the whole thing was mario party there were a lot of mini games that involved rotating the joystick very quick and the mm-hmm. trick that you would do is you'd use your palm and you'd turn it really fast yeah. and if you weren't careful you'd get like you know a blister in the middle of your hand but otherwise, you know, it was weird, but it was definitely, uh, I don't know, it wasn't, it wasn't uncomfortable or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. College. We went to college for filmmaking, and uh, I listened to lots of videos, uh, interview with you, and uh, you said you were doing, like, some sort of thing with a, with a YouTuber. I forget their name, but were you doing that while in college for filmmaking, or was that after? Uh, that was after. So when I was in college, I was going to be I was going down the the track of traditional filmmaking, you know, making scripted fictional okay. movies for like a, you know. like a director. Yeah, exactly. I, every, I feel like everybody goes into film school wanting to be a director and most people come out finding that's, you know, that speciality that they really are into, whether it's, you know, working on set or sound yeah, design or, you know, editing or anything like that. Um, and Mine was post-production. You know, I had worked on um, student films and music videos and stuff like that in between semesters, and I didn't really like being on set that much. Um, I also didn't like it because I was, I was a, you know, you start off your production assistant, it's kind of low end of the totem pole, and then I moved up to uh, Grip and Electric, which is working with a lot of the lights. But where I felt like you had a lot of creative control without being the director was in post-production when you're editing. Editing is such a powerful tool when it comes to taking footage and and creating a story out of it and so after school i decided i wanted to work in post-production and so i ended up getting a job at this uh internet startup called howcast that did how-to videos on youtube and on their own website and so i was working in the post-production department there um and that's kind of was my introduction into the world of online media, which was, you know, obviously very different from scripted storytelling and, you know, much shorter runtime and stuff like that. And just that's where I learned the meat and potatoes of how YouTube works as a platform. Right, I had to, um, when I started off, what, one of the things I had to do is quality control whenever we got a video in. Uh, because yeah. we had people in-house making videos and we had people submitting videos. And so I watched pretty much every single Howcast video that was made every month. Can you uh, can you tell me like a video that you worked on, if you can remember? Um, 
Yes. Let me see if I can remember the name of the title. I, I was never, I wasn't, I think I was in one, but I don't remember the title and I, I'm glad I don't, but I, um, uh, it was like, I worked on a wardrobe based video, um, where it was like, oh, how to build the perfect wardrobe with seven fashion staples. So that one, I uh, actually did the post-production. So I did all the video effects on it and the editing. And um, most of what I did from a post-production standpoint there was just um, more of the logistical side of things. How do you take um, this company that is making anywhere from 300 to 600 videos a month and you know, make sure that they're all good quality, make sure they're going to the places they need to go, make sure that they're being archived the right way. Uh, so very rarely was I actually working on the videos, but that was one of the ones I was working on. Let's go, um, let's go back to your college. Yeah. When did you decide that you weren't going to be like a movie maker? Was that like what you were going to college for? It was, and I'd say maybe about six months before I graduated, which is the worst time ever to realize that the thing you spent four years doing is not yeah. what you want to do. Um, yeah. It was, it was, uh, I, I still like the idea of it, but I am not much of a writer in terms of like fictional writing. Uh, so that was kind of a, you know, when you're in the world of film, I think especially early on, it's it's this world where you kind of have to do everything because you don't have the sort of clout that you can be like, oh, yeah, well, I have this writer who's going to throw together a great script and this great cinematographer. It's like you need to know how to wear every hat. And there were a lot of hats I was not really interested in. And I also felt like it was kind of like this weird, um, rapidly aging uphill climb to, like, you know, spend a ton of money and work your butt off to make some short film that maybe we'll get into a few film festivals. Because again, this was before, you know, YouTube was around, but it wasn't what it is today. And so the yeah. idea of the internet being your platform for sharing what you make was still yeah. pretty novel. And I was like, well, I don't want to just, I just don't want to be making you know these short films that maybe a couple of hundred people are going to see at a film festival one day. Like I want to do something greater than that and that's kind of when the internet came along with you know howcast this was kind of before like this was kind of before like 2012 2013 when like the harlem shake came out like gangnam mm -hmm. style and stuff like that so yeah and i i get what you're saying it was before it was it was before youtube was known for making like short films correct and it was still new enough that even though people were doing it at the time, it wasn't, I think, seen as a legitimate outlet the way the older ways of, of being seen were. You know, nowadays, if you have a channel and that's where you're posting your skits or your your short films, it's nobody bats an eye because it's just normal. But I think back then it was not necessarily what people were like, why would you do that and not go the film circuit route? You know, that's what, just what people did. It was before people realized that you can start making money on this platform. It was before people like PewDiePie that have like millions and millions of subscribers and can honestly just do this instead of like a full-time. Yeah, I mean, it was before you could even do it. I mean, th this was back when the partner program was invite only. So you YouTube had oh, to reach out true. to you and invite you to be a partner. And that was just the only way to make money. Um, so it was very, very exclusive. So you were at Howcast, you were doing that, and you started Rob Plays. Am I correct that this Rob Plays was originally just a side thing to Howcast, or did you leave Howcast and start Rob Plays immediately? It was a side thing. So when we were at Howcast, for most of my time there, I was just post-production doing logistics and then they eventually wanted to move into the world of video games um because you know that's when let's plays and walkthroughs were really starting to get big on the platform and so they were like all right we, we're going to start a, a spin-off channel it's called howcast gaming it's going to be walkthroughs for the most part we'll play around with other formats and at that point there were two people in the office who really played video games. That was myself and 
this coworker of mine, Joe, and uh, it just so turned out that he was getting ready to leave the company and go move out to California. And so we we both started the channel uh, and we were running it and we had a third uh, person who would occasionally work with us uh, named Ben. And so the three of us were like we 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 piloted the, the whole channel idea by doing a walkthrough of I think it was Resistance 2 on the PlayStation 3. Um, and so with Joe leaving, I ended up running the channel and I didn't get to play many games while running the channel, but I did a lot of, you know, managing of who we were hiring to do all the walkthroughs, what games we were going to do walkthroughs of, how we were going to break them up, stuff like that. Um, and then at some point we wanted to try out Let's Plays and that was definitely going to be more personality based. And I, at that point was reaching this this breaking point where I was like, all right, I want to play a game. I've <laughs> I've spent months now just like looking at spreadsheets and and schedules. I want to I want to make something. So I did a let's play Minecraft because Minecraft was really just starting to explode then. Yeah. And I did that uh, once a week for about a year, and ultimately it went okay, but it wasn't really what the company was looking to continue doing. It wasn't the kind of numbers I think they were looking for, you know, at that point they were looking for scale more than anything. And so we were going to go back to focusing on uh, walkthroughs. And so I figured, you know what, I still had a fun time doing this. So why don't I start a channel for myself where I could keep doing let's plays and keep it personality based and just run that on the side. And so I want to say it was about one year where I was running my side channel while still working on Howcast Gaming. When did you decide to leave Howcast? Uh, I was right, and I'm actually looking that up now because it's it's perfect perfectly coincides with the launch of the PlayStation 4, which uh, has nothing to do with the PlayStation 4 launching, but I just remember I started my new job um, the day after the PS4 came out. So it was November, November 5th, 16th, yeah. 2013. Yeah, so uh, I left just shortly before that. Um, you know, it was just career change stuff. It wasn't really anything. It had nothing to do with YouTube. Where at that yeah. point, the channel was still just a side thing, and I had no real aspirations of making it a full time endeavor because it didn't seem realistic. Um, so that was just going from you know one paying job to another paying job, and that other job really had nothing to do with media at that point. It was more in the world of advertising because I wanted to learn more about it. Uh, and so that's kind of when it went from working on these two channels to just working on, you know, Raw Plays That Game. Currently looking for the first video that <clears throat> wasn't, like, the first video that you made after you left Howcast. Do you remember what that first video was? Oh, wow. Uh, I'd have to check, because actually what I've recently done with the rebrand is I've hidden all of my non-Disney-related videos on the channel. Okay. Um just to keep it all focused. Let's see. I think I can do some searches for... Uh, I saw your public one, at least. It's Minecraft Disney World Philhar Magic, Mickey's Philhar Magic. Yeah, that sounds about right. By that point, I was I was deep into Minecraft Disney World because that mm -hmm. started maybe six months after the channel started. Not even six, maybe four-ish, around there. So I was probably doing a lot of Minecraft at that point. Yeah, so this is a good uh, this is a good transition. So you you leave Howcast for and you uh, wait you start Rob plays you leave Howcast about four or five months after you made Rob plays. Uh, I'd say yes, maybe no. It's a little over a year because I started I started Rob plays in uh September August no late August of 2012. And then I left Howcast November of 2013. So a year and a few months. So what made you, besides your love of, of, of playing video games, what you could have played any video game, but you decided to go on MC Magic. Why was your decision, besides your love of, you know, Minecraft and Disney and video games, what attracted you to MC Magic? What, what is so special about that server? So... It's funny because when I initially started the channel, I was very anti doing Minecraft because I had done it for a year at that point. And I was like, all right, I want to make Let's Plays. I don't want to do Minecraft. I did it for a whole year. I'm ready to move on to other games. But people kept asking for Minecraft. And so I was like, all right, well, I'll do a Minecraft series because at that point I was getting into the game of YouTube and I was like, all right, well, what's going to do well? What do people want to see? 
And I had a week where I just, I was scheduled to do Minecraft and I didn't want to, I didn't really want to play. And so I was like, well, how can I get out of this in a creative way? And I remembered this server MC magic that I had known before I started the channel um, because I had just through word of mouth been told about it and being a lifelong Disney fan and somebody who couldn't go to Disney regularly, especially at this point, I was, you know, a couple of years out of college, I was making a little bit more money, but still not enough that I was like going on vacation every year. And so the idea of having this platform to go visit Disney, I loved it. And so I was like, this is perfect. I did have a trip coming up at that point. And so I was like, I'm in the Disney mood I don't want to do this Minecraft let's play let's go on MC magic and that way I'll get to talk about Disney which is what I really want to do right now but I'm still doing Minecraft it's the best of both worlds and it ended up being a uh, you know better performing than anything else I was doing so what you would do is you go on Minecraft sometimes you would give tours you would give POVs of rides you went on a uh the Disney Cruise Line server right uh, yeah, that was when they were working. They like worked the Disney dream onto MC magic. It was like a partnership with subnautica at that point. So it was kind of folded into the server. You did a video. You did a video with the creator of MC magic or the creator of the, uh, the, the cruise line. Well, not yeah. the cruise line, the mag magic Minecraft cruise line, not like. Not Mike Wise. Not the actual. No, no. no. <laughs> I, I did one. I did a walk through a tour of the ship with the creator of the Disney Dream in Minecraft. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you went on a real cruise, right? First one last January. What was the ship? The Dream, actually. Funny mm. enough. Yeah. Yep. Um. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I had. I was just gonna say it was. It was amazing. It took me forever, but it was amazing to finally go on one. Yeah. Um. What was the? Uh. What were the ports? We did Nassau and then Castaway Key. It was a oh, short. We. Yeah. We did a shorter trip because, um, you know, my girlfriend gets seasick, and we weren't sure. Like, we we had never done a cruise, so we were like, "Well, are we cruise people? Like, we don't want to like." pay for and commit to like a whole week long cruise and then find out day two we hate cruising so we're like let's start with a short one see how it goes and by the end of the first day we're like this is too short we should have done a week long like this is amazing so we're sold yeah the um we did the weekend one once and it was nassau and castaway it was the exact it was actually the dream it was the exact yep. same one and um when was that was that was march of 2017 I think. And um, what we did is we brought my cousin that has never been on a cruise. So we did that for the three days. And then we went to Disney for like the remainder of the week. So that was that was pretty cool. And um, there was one more thing I wanted to ask you about the cruise, but I forget get what it was. See, we flipped it around. Uh, we we were wondering what what it would be like to do the parks after the cruise because the cruise I think is so much more relaxing than the parks. Oh, parks are yeah. just like you know you hit you hit the ground running and you're there all day. <laughs> but we tacked our cruise onto the end of a trip we had planned with friends, so we spent ten. We spent no, we spent seven days at Disney, and then we did the cruise after, and it was. It was the perfect, like, you always joke, you're like, oh, I need a vacation from this vacation because Disney's so intense. And that's literally what it was. It was a vacation <laughs> after Disney. And it was it was very, very nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this is probably a good answer. Do you like the cruise better or the theme, or the parks better? Um, I feel like I need to go on another cruise to really yeah. settle on an answer. But it's just there's there's such apples and oranges in mm -hmm. like I've now that we live down here I actually love the parks even more than I thought I would because I get to take time to in and slow it down and so after that first cruise I came back going cruise hands down way better because you have this one experience that's very relaxing and maybe I'm just hitting an age where that's what I want in a vacation versus mm -hmm. Disney World where you're running around running around all day long but now that I'm down here, I don't have to run around at Disney World, so it allows me to slow it down. And so now they're both these nice, slow, relaxing experiences. And so it really just boils down to 
do I want to spend a couple of hours in a pool or a hammock with an amazing view? Or do I want to spend a couple of hours exploring like this amazingly detailed world? And, you know, it's, they're both amazing. It's, it's just really what I'm in the mood for. Um, did you, did you vlog the cruise on your, uh, Rob plays vlogging channel? I did. Although similarly, those have been pulled down. I've made a yeah. lot of changes in these last few months and partially it's for some of them, it's, you know, privacy concerns for people who are in the group with me. And, mm, um, yeah. also just for trying to like laser focus the channel on the new direction. But yes, I, those were vlogs. I actually were rewatching, um, just a couple of days ago, really, just to, you know, get myself through this this uh, quarantine a little bit. Yeah. So, uh, your your Minecraft is doing pretty good. I mean, what it is now, I don't know what it was was back then, but now your Epcot one, your Epcot tour has 183k. Your the Disney Dream one is one that had. Oh, does really well yeah let me find the disney dream one um um i i hit le i hit um the sort and i put most um uh i went back to like the beginning of the channel your dream it's at three hundred and seventy nine thousand right now oh man and it that was purely like i got lucky with if you type in i don't know if it's still e. the case but let me see. I think if you type in at the time, if you typed in Minecraft cruise ship, it was the first result. Now it is not the first result. Now it looks like it's still on page one, but it's further down. But for yes. the longest time, for a couple of years, it was like one or two on the list. And so that brought in a lot of traffic. Yeah, it's the third because it's Stampy, of course, because Stampy is like the king of Minecraft <laughs> <laughs> back then. But it's uh, X Minecraft, Xbox Minecraft, and then your disney dream video do you stick a royalty on that like every once in a while do you just get a check that says from you like for the disney dream video that you're like oh i remember that i made that uh i mean a lot of yeah it when it comes to youtube and this is kind of like there are so many different types of channels out there and that's why it's it could be very hard for one type of creator and not another but the, the kind of content I aim to create is what they call evergreen, which is, you know, you can watch that video and it's just as relevant today as it was six, six or seven years ago. And yeah. so it'll still bring in views. And so like, you know, for the longest time, I, you know, I'll still have those, those videos will be the evergreen videos that carry the bulk of the channel. You know, if it was just, if I was just pulling in whatever the last four videos I made was, I probably wouldn't be able to do this full time. It really is having hundreds of videos that are still somewhat relevant and still pull in views month after month that that make it a possibility to to do it as a full time endeavor. Yeah. So your um your Minecraft videos went on for how long did you do the Minecraft videos for? Uh, I want to say up until maybe like three or three and a half years ago, uh, I eventually got to a point where I think I had covered everything in terms of, uh, attractions. There might've been a few I didn't do probably because I thought that they just weren't going to make for good videos, but that kind of started like too, as you know, when I first started doing Minecraft Disney, I was doing just, I'd walk around, I'd pick a park and I'd walk around it and I'd, I'd talk about what I knew off the top of my head. And so to keep those videos under an hour, there were, there were plenty of attractions that I would skip. And then people in the comments would inevitably go, Oh, could you, could you go talk about this? Could you go talk about, you know, three caballeros or, you know, Soren or something. And that's when I was like, you know what, what if I did a video for each attraction to make a series out of it? And so I think I covered most of, everything that was current at the time and then even started to dip into like defunct attractions a little bit, but that was harder to do because there weren't Minecraft versions of them. And then that's yeah. kind of when I switched to what I do now, which is like the more mini documentary style. Yeah. So I'm going through a bunch of your videos and you start going, you start doing like the other things. Like you did a Disney infinity for a little bit. Yep. And, uh, I, I was throwing spaghetti at the wall to see what stuck. I was doing, you know, your top and fives and news. And I wanted to be like the Disney variety channel. Um, yeah. But it's, I think with YouTube in general, and this is the advice that I give everybody who wants to get into YouTubing is like, 
try everything. If you think that there's something to the format, give it a shot because you'll never know what that format's going to be that actually works well. And so I tried weird stuff. I had a series called um, Playlists where I would pick a unified theme and then I would put together a playlist of rides and restaurants that match that theme. So like, say, Indiana Jones. And obviously, you know, you have the stunt spectacular, but like, where would you eat if you want that Indiana Jones feeling? And so like, I did that series for a while and it, you know, it was fun, but it didn't really stick. And so then I moved on to the next one and just tried a whole bunch of stuff. So when was the last Minecraft video? Ooh, that's a good question. I don't know. I want to, oh, you know what it was? I think I did a series, uh, this creator had made um, multiple maps of Disneyland that reflected different eras of the park. So he had a 1955 Disneyland, a 1965 Disneyland, 1975 oh. Disneyland. And I think I did a mini series where I went over them and showed like the major differences. Yeah. And I, I kind of recall that being when I started to do the documentary stuff. And that might have been the last Minecraft related stuff I had done. Is that is that Horizons Park Parks? Uh potentially. I have to go digging back because Horizons Park I know has a nineteen fifty-five Disney. I can check right now, actually. I have right. my dashboard opened up. And I thought uh, you were gonna say you have your Minecraft open up. I was like, well, that's perfect. That's <laughs> that that I haven't <laughs> had open for a while. Um it was uh it was a creator named N NGM Entertainment. And I don't even think these were servers. I think these were because I have links on the in the description to download yeah. the map from Planet Minecraft. So I think these were offline. Uh, they were, yeah, they were probably just, yeah, like worlds, but he made them available to people. Exactly. And so I, I did that series right around when I was doing the World's Fair series in New York. And then I think that's kind of when I was like, all right, we're I'm going to put down Minecraft and just go forward with this stuff. Uh -huh. Um. So that was your last Minecraft, and uh, so you started transitioning over to more of just the Disney theme parks with the pictures and the the video, the silent videos, and telling about the it. Not really history, because you weren't really doing. Were you doing that at that point? The history, little bits here and there. Like my first ones were, um, I was doing the history of the four world's fair pavilions that disney did in 1965 mm -hmm. um, but then i kind of did the shift over and it was a little bit more like logistics today or like behind the scenes today like well does the stretching room go up or down or you know the the water smell or you know the mosquitoes and so it i was dabbling in history but it was really the the operational stuff that was doing better so what was the first video Besides the dream, of course. What was the first video that made you decide that you were going to start doing a certain type of, of content? Because what you do now is very, very specific. And it's not, like it's not like back then where you would just... Kind of like what I do is just like different videos here and there. Things you find interesting. But now you have... a. A, th a thing like you you do stuff that is not really ride history but disney history can you describe that kind of what you i, I can't yeah really, i guess i, I just really try to find your your off, style offbeat like sort of offbeat behind the scenes slash history you know i try to find little stories um that i can tell that you know uh just aren't something that you see covered very often you'll you're not really going to find me doing you know contemporarily you know a history of the tower of terror or yeah. if i am i'm going to talk about the early history of it where it's like yay this used to you know this was planned to be a mel brooks ride right because that's the interesting part to me um and i think a big part of that came from you know when you're on youtube you have more and more competition today than ever before and so part of what you need to do is find a unique angle because again if i decide tomorrow to do the history of you know splash mountain i'm going to be competing with other videos that are probably going to cover the topic better have been around longer and so that they have better you know uh, traction in the platform 
And so what I need to find is the stuff that nobody's covered before or very few people have covered before. And so that's when I started looking for these weird offbeat stories and, you know, little facts that maybe in a book would be a sentence or two or in a longer video would be a, a, a couple of seconds. But I want to dig in and like really get into the details of it. And I'd say the first one that really took off was talking about how they clean the water and the water rides and how that oh, gives it its distinct birds. smell. The, the, the bromine bros. The bromine bros. Yep. That was, <laughs> and believe it or not, I thought that video was going to do really poorly. I, as I was putting it together, I was like, this is about a chemical. This is about cleaning water. Nobody's going to care about this. This is not a Disney thing. This is going to flop, but whatever. I've already done enough of it. I can't turn back now. And then I put it out there and that was the video that, you know, did close to a million views and the channel, you know, doubled in size almost overnight. I don't know if you know this, but if you look up, does Disney use chlorine and water rides? Cause somebody asked me that the other day, like we were having a conversation about, um, I forget what it was. I think it was like splash mountain. And we were talking, I said about the, t I don't know if you've seen this, but on Twitter, there was a video of a guy drinking the splash mountain water. And oh, they were no. like, Oh, like, Oh, and then we were talking and, and then somebody said, does Disney use chlorine and water rides? And I was like, I don't, I don't know. So I looked it up and you know how Google has that thing where it's like a short outline of the article and then it's a link to the article. Yeah. So I looked it up and it says, it says Disney use bromine. And then it says, as Rob says in the videos, like <laughs> I'm interviewing that guy on Wednesday. Like I know him like, wait, <laughs> yeah, a few, uh, a few a few places have picked up the video and used it as yeah. as a source for which is the weirdest part. The weirdest part is like so I never use Wikipedia as a source when I'm making these videos because it can be very unreliable. And I've run into a few instances where the wiki's flat out wrong. Um, <laughs> but just for like, you know, every once in a blue moon, you do a vanity search. And I remember doing a search. And I was like, I don't think there's a wiki about my channel. Let me check it out. And I Googled myself on Wikipedia. And there, I don't think there is a wiki for my channel. But I did see that I was linked as a source in a couple of articles. And that was very unsettling to me because I was just like, I'm a YouTuber. Like, I know I did my, my research, but how do they know I did it? I don't know. Yeah. So it's just, well, it's, it's weird. There is a, you might not have a Wikipedia article, but there, there is a fandom wiki for you. Well, yes, plays that, that, game with, that was from the video, you know that was you the video that? game days. Yeah. I, I, you know, when I was doing the video game stuff, oh. there was a tight little community of, of subscribers, um, who we'd like hang out with on the Minecraft server. And they started to throw that wiki together way back in the day. I don't think it got very far, but it was fun. This was such a good conversation with Rob Place, so I decided to extend it to two parts. But lucky for you guys, you don't have to wait that long for the second part. So, on Sunday, the 28th, so not that long of a wait if you're watching this the first day that it comes out. If you did enjoy for the first part, Hit that like button and consider subscribing. It would mean a lot if you did so. And I will see you in the next one. Have a magical day, everybody.